بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم رحمد رسول الحمد للہ جنائی از دا تھرڈ آف جون ان دا الحمدللہ وی موو آن ٹو دا فورٹی فرسٹ نائٹ دا وی گوئنگ تھرو دا لوسٹیس اینڈ ایگزالٹڈ لائف آف دا ایم این ایل کمپنی سیدنا عبداللہ ابن مسعود رضی اللہ اینڈ سیکشن ناؤ ان وچ وی ٹیکن اے گلمس ان تھرو ہز ہیومیلٹی اینڈ فیئر آف آل مائٹی اللہ سبحانہ و تعالی سو ان رپورٹ ریکارڈ ان امام احمد ابو نعیم الحلیہ ٹو ڈیش ون تھری تھری حافظ ابن رجب ان از ال تخویف من النار fleeing from the fire page 51 of the English translation Sa'ad ibn al-Akhram rahmatullahi he said I was once walking with Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and we passed by some blacksmiths one of them drew a blade of steel from the furnace فَقَامَ يَنْذُرْ إِلَيْهِ وَيُبْقِ upon seeing this Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu began to shed tears. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Ahmad and other references. So he's walking and the blacksmiths obviously they put heated uh, metal into the furnace. So one of them he drew a blade of steel. So obviously it was probably bright with the heat from the fire. Sa'ad ibn al-Akhram said I noticed that Ibn Mas'ud began to shed tears. So what happened? He was thinking of the fire. So now obviously, if you were living a sinful life and a person is moved to tears, that makes more sense. But he's living a, a very, very high level of piety and yet he's still shedding tears. So again, it goes back to what I mentioned yesterday due to the incredible taqwa. It manifests in strange ways to lesser mortals like ourselves. Indeed, it would greatly trouble this majestic soul if people did not show any due reverence to these absolute realities. Yazid ibn Ubaidullah, rahmatullah, he relates from some of his companions. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu, he once saw a man laughing at a funeral. He thereupon said in anger, Are you laughing whilst you are at a funeral? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I shall now never speak to you again. This is recorded in Behaki, Kanzal Umal, volume 8, page 116, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 424 of the New English Translation. So what upset him? What upset him was people obviously should show veneration to anything that is deserving of veneration. Well, a funeral is really unforgivable for you to laugh. Why? Because somebody is going through obviously a great calamity, a great tribulation, which Allah the Almighty calls a musibah. And you're laughing. So Ibn Mas'ud, he said, are you laughing at a funeral? He goes, Wallahi, I'm never going to speak to you again. Subhanallah, how often does one see this even during the burial of a brother or sister? Where one sees one with his mobile phone, another having a banter with one of his friends, 
and the sad list goes on. So he will show great veneration. Now, what's interesting in Surah Hajj, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions that those who show veneration to the signs of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, Allah Taala has tested their hearts for taqwa. In other words, these are the people who have fear have been blessed with consciousness of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So note, the more you venerate, the more you're showing this taqwa. On yet another occasion, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he'd once said with tears in his blessed eyes, if you people knew my sins, then not even two of you would walk behind me, and you would then rather throw sand on my head. Indeed, I would be happy if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave even one of my sins, even though I have to be humiliated and called by the name of Abdullah ibn Rauta, i.e. Abdullah, the son of Dung. Subhanallah. This is in Hakim and his Mustadrak, volume 3, page 316, Sahih, Zahabi, Sahih, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 5, page 117 of the New English Translation. So, what was happening here? So obviously he had a huge entourage of students. You know, many thousands of students will come to sit at his blessed feet. And he didn't want this. He didn't like people following him. So firstly, this majestic man was highlighting the reality that praise belongs to no other than Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? For if he did not graciously and most mercifully conceal our sins from others, then would others really have praised us? So, this is the first thing. When people praise you, why is praised looked down upon in Islam? So obviously you have to explain that. Because what's wrong with praise? Praise, I'm not, you're not deserving. Why? Because you praise the person thinking that he's something special. But you're not aware of his reality. If Allah exposed some of his sins to you, would you praise him? And the response is, praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. All praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Lord of, uh, Lord of the worlds or the creations. So this is the first thing. He didn't like praise. Secondly, he feared a large entourage i.e. that this would put pride into his blessed heart. Compare this to those so-called spiritual leaders who are actually seen boasting of the large numbers of their followers. <laughs> so that's a sign that, you know, this person is not really a sheikh. So if he starts saying, I've got many, many marids, oh, what are you telling us that for? <laughs> Look at Ibn Masood, radiyallahu because if you people knew my sin, not even two of you would walk behind me. you throw sand on me. And what are you saying? I've got marids all over the world. Good for you, mate. So, is that a person who's got a pure heart? The sheikh, they're not bothered about numbers. They're not bothered about any numbers. So if you look, and, you know, I Billah, there's obviously good examples and bad examples. A good example is, I've mentioned this, but mention it again. A sheikh was invited to do a talk from another country. 
So when he came, unfortunately, not many people attended the, uh, the gathering. And it was due to poor advertising. The people who had organized the event, they hadn't got the people to get the message. So they started apologizing to the Sheikh. They go, Sheikh, forgive us. There should be more people here. You know, it's our fault. So the Sheikh goes, it's okay. He goes, nothing to worry about. And he did the full talk. And then he went to the organizers after. He said, it's not a matter of numbers. He goes, it's a matter of people receiving the message. And if they receive the message, if you're sincere, Allah will put that into their hearts. So this is a proper Sheikh. But be honest. You'll get people saying, I won't even attend unless there's a couple of thousand people who attend. Oh, where's that in Islam? <laughs> Imagine the Prophet saying that, I'm not going to share anything unless there's a certain number of people here. <laughs> right? So note again, Ibn Masood said, even two of you knew my sins, you throw sand over me. He was getting troubled by these numbers. The third lesson, he would not mind any worldly humiliation if it meant the securance of just one of his sins being forgiven. I think about that. Mm. If somebody says, I know a way of securing the forgiveness of one of your sins. So you're thinking, okay, what do I need to do? Would you humiliate yourself for it? I'll be honest, I couldn't do that. I might be able to do it if you say, you know, a big chunk of my sins, but not just for one sin. Just one sin, I'm going to humiliate myself. Mm. Compare this to the likes of many of us who expect the entirety of our sins to be forgiven most easily. He, the great Ibn Masood said, I would even change my name. Imagine going to the registry office and changing your name. So your name's Abdullah Ibn Masood. And he goes, I'd like to change my name. He says, what would you like to change it to? He's Abdullah Ibn Rautha. And then the person behind the counter goes, if you don't mind me asking, why have you changed your surname? And he goes, uh, what does Rautha mean? He means donk. <laughs> so what would the guy behind the counter say to you? He says, why have you changed your name to Abdullah, the son of Dung? And he says, I've done this to secure the forgiveness of one of my sins. And don't forget, if you change your name, everybody's going to be calling you that. So what does that tell you about his blessed heart? The great Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, his heart was absolutely pure to the highest degree. I mentioned many moons prior that he had no pride. He goes, the Prophet said, let him follow me who has no pride. So he was a he was the he had reached the highest levels of purity, the great Ibn Masud. And there's a report, and it says many of the companions, in fact, there's a direct report where the Prophet himself said that if you are praised, you should say, Allahumma la to ahidni bima yaqulun wa khfilli ma la yaalamun wa jalli khaylum mimma yazunnu. This is an Ibn Hiban Sahih and Shaykh Al-Bani authenticates it. So what does it translate into? So if you're praised, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, you should say, O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do not hold me to account for what they say. So when they say, we've never seen a person like you, your knowledge is unbelievable, because you are truly inspired. So the first part of your dua is, don't hold me to account for what they're saying. Second part of the dua, Allahumma la tu'akhidni bima yaqulun waghfilli and forgive me for what they do not know. Forgive me for what they do not know. Now why is that a part of the dua? Because you're actually saying if they know 
my feelings, they would never have pleased me. So I'm asking you, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to forgive me for those things that they don't know. Mm. Look how beautiful the dua is. And then to crown it off, Make me better than what they assume. Look at these beautiful du'as. People aren't bothered learning. Have you learned these du'as? I mentioned it dozens of times. When, you know, when are you going to learn it? Until you go into your grave. So how many times do people praise you? So what do you say? MashaAllah, right? So the Prophet gave you a du'a. Allahumma la tu'akhidni bima yaqoolun waj'alni waghfilli Allahumma la tu'akhidni bima yaqoolun waghfilli mal Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala don't hold me to account for what they say. Forgive me for what they do not know and make me better than what they assume. So these du'as are very important. Why? Because it takes pride out of your heart and we're not deserving of praise. We're far from the people who deserve the praise. They've gone. And they were the ones making these du'as. That's, that's what's shocking. Those, the majestic Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he said, how many are deluded by the blessing showered upon them? How many are tested by the praise heaped upon them? And how many are duped into a false sense of security by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hiding their sins? This is recorded by Hafiz ibn Hajar rahmatullahi in his preparing for the day of judgment number six in the section on counsel in peace. So here again, the great Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu, he's mentioning three things which are very important to legislate. How many are deluded by the blessings showered upon them? I mentioned, was it yesterday? Istidraj. If Allah opens up blessings in inverted commas, that doesn't necessarily mean they're blessings. You might go into a deluded state and you're going to be taken out. Secondly, how many are tested by the praise heaped upon them? Going to what Ibn Masood said. Because that's a test. People are praising you. You're tested. You need to react in the correct way. And thirdly, how many are duped into a false sense of security because Allah has hidden their sins? <laughs> you fruitcake. Look at Ibn Masood, he's highlighting the realities. He goes, why do you think you're secure? Just because Allah has hidden your sins. You're committing sins left, right and center. You're thinking, I'm alright. How are you alright when you're committing sins? So you've gone into a duped sense of security. He goes, don't ask Allah to forgive you. On the same theme, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, what did he say? The knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has accepted even a single deed of mine is more beloved to me than the earth full of gold. The knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has accepted even a single deed of mine is more beloved to me than the earth full of gold. This is recorded in Ibn Asakir, Ya'aqub Ibn Sufyan, Qanzul Umal, number 8500, volume 3, page 698, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 201 of the New English Translation. So now what's being highlighted? He seriously believed his deeds are, being, are not being accepted. How could a person of his maqam think that his deeds are being accepted? Again, goes back to that report. His taqwa is such a high level. He's saying things that are literally going beyond this. Be honest. How many deeds do you think of yours have been accepted? Forget about your lifetime today. And even without thinking, you're going to think, well, hopefully 
you know, 50%. So was Ibn Masood, what's wrong with him? <laughs> he goes, I would love it more than the earth full of gold if one of my deeds is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he seriously thought nothing has been accepted. They're polluted. Abu Darda, Hakim al-Ummah, he similarly said the same, but then he recited a verse to prove this further. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah 5, verse 27. <inaudible> Verily, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts only from those with taqwa. Verily, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts only from those with taqwa. This is recorded in Ibn Abi Hatim, Ibn Kathir's Tafsir, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 201 of the New English Translation. So Abu Darda said exactly the same. If one of my du'as, I believe he said, guess is answered, because this would be mean the whole world to me. And then he recited this verse, Allah Ta'ala accepts taqabbal only from the people of taqwa. So the clue is they didn't consider themselves people of taqwa. And if you look at what I mentioned yesterday, how could they even think that? Because if one thing's accepted, we must have got some taqwa. Because this is so beloved to us. Consider also Wuhayb ibn al-Ward's report, in which he recited the verse, which mentions the holy prophets Ibrahim and Ismail had rebuilt the Kaaba and they made the following dua. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2, verse 127. Our Lord, accept this from us. For verily, you are the all-hearing, the all-knowing. Wahib thereupon wept and he said, O the Khalil of Ar-Rahman, you raise the foundations of the house of Ar-Rahman, yet you are still afraid. He will not accept it from you. This is in Ibn Abi Hatim and Ibn Kathir in their respective tafsirs. So now, who gave the command to Ibrahim والسلام, to raise the foundation of the house? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's got a direct command. He's asked his son to help him. Ismail when they've built, rebuilt the Kaaba, they make the dua. Both of them. Accept this from us, O our Lord. Rabbana taqabbal minna. Accept this from us, O our Lord. Innaka anta samirul alim. You are the all-hearing, the all-knowing. So, Wuhayb ibn al-Ward, he wept. He goes, O Khalil. Now, why didn't he mention Ismail? Because Ismail is a good deed of Ibrahim. That's why he only isolated the father. He goes, oh, the Khalil of Ar-Rahman. You raised the foundation of Ar-Rahman's house, yet you are still afraid. He's not going to accept it. Now think about that. This is the prophets, obviously. They are another pedestal. But the fact that he's built the Kaaba and he's still making a dua, please accept it. In other words, I've tried my best. Maybe I've erred. And then the Salaf wept. He goes, you know, what standard have you set? Narrations such as these should put the polluted deeds of ourselves into their proper perspective. We ask our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us all. I mean, now that dua, people just rattle up. I've heard it. What are you saying? 
is one of the most famous du'as of the Quran. Why is it one of the most famous du'as? You ask a person. Brother, you know, you, brother, yeah, I know that du'a. I know two du'as. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasanatu wa fil akhirah hasanatu wa kina adabunat. What's the other du'a you know? Rabbana takabbal minna inna ka anta samin alim. You ask them, why are these two du'as probably the most famous du'as of the Quran? No idea. You're asking Allah Ta'ala to accept. It's okay, accept. But I've done the deed. There you go. What's the du'a telling you? Just because you've done the deed doesn't mean it's accepted. And even if you've done the deed, you might corrupt it later on. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu said, the easy part is to 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 perform the deed. The difficult part is to protect it. <laughs> so what's that telling you? There's so much more than the deed itself. And you make that du'a. And when did he make it? After doing a good deed. So again, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, if one of my deeds is accepted, it's better than the whole world full of gold. Abu Darda, if one of my du'as get answered, he goes, that means I'm a person of taqwa. And of course, to crown it off, the prophets of God. And that's why that du'a should be said after every good deed. Because it's arrogance otherwise. You know, what you think that your deed's been accepted. You just offered the Maghrib prayer. Do you make that du'a? One of the ones asked me, is why do you keep make, make, why do you keep doing the same du'a? And he goes, what's the du'a I keep doing? He goes, you keep saying, Rabbana atina fi dunya, Rabbana taqabbal minna inna kandar, Rabbana kfilli wa liwaladi. And he goes, because they are atambam du'as that you need to make. All the rest is, you know, bonus. <laughs> so then I explained to him partially. He goes, you're asking Allah Ta'ala to accept your deeds. You don't know if your deeds been accepted. What better du'a to make than Ibrahim Salatu du'a. Secondly, you're making a du'a for the good of this world. And that doesn't mean houses. It means knowledge. And for the akhirat. And to protect you from the fire. And you're praying for the forgiveness of your parents and all the believers. What else is left? Or do you want me to do a tejek in du'a? Like some people do. So I'm rhyming it. Right? So again, just stick to what the Quran tells you. Who are you ultimately asking when you make in du'a? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just think about it. If the one you're asking, you're begging him to answer your du'a, what's the best way to make du'a? The way that he's told you. Imagine you're asking him and you're saying, Yala, I don't need your du'as. I'm going to make my own du'as. Thinking, you know, if you think about it, there's something seriously wrong psychologically with you. Allah has told you how to make du'a. You don't need it. I'll make my own du'as. I'll bring tears to your eyes. So there's ingratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All the du'as are in the Quran. You know, beautiful du'as. And to finish, as mentioned earlier, this was a blessed man that did not even have an iota of pride. Yet, he once said the following words. I would not like to scoff even at a dog, lest I then become metamorphosized into a dog. This is in Qurtubi in this tafsir, Ma'arifal Quran, volume 8, page 132 to 133 of the English translation. Now think about this. You see a dog, obviously some dogs, they look, you know, they're quite ugly. And you might even put a dog, you go, what's this? Ibn Masood, he hated that. He says, I don't do that. Because I am afraid Allah Ta'ala will turn me into a dog. So a person goes, well, has that ever happened? And the response is, 
It doesn't mean you become a kota. It means you become a kota in characteristics. You're a human outwardly, but you're just like a dog. In fact, dogs are better than us. They're more subservient to their masters. So in fact, I've insulted the dog. No, you're worse than the dog. The dog, you know, you give him a bone, he'll give his life for you. What's Allah Allah giving you? You give your life for him? No, dog's better than you. Indeed, in the glorious Quran, Surah 49, verse 11, it explicitly mentions to both the believing men and women not to look down or ridicule others. So it's a verse. In Surah Hujarat, Allah says, don't do it. Looking down upon your believing men, uh, brothers and sisters. Alas, compare this sublime state to that of many of us who look down upon our own brothers and sisters. To Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our complaint. Ibn Masood didn't even look down on a dog. Who are you looking down on? Mulana Sahib. And then you go, I don't know what's happening here. Boshi Islam is this brother. You know, I don't know, maybe I've joined the wrong camp. The, our deed teaches us not to look down on dogs. Christ, Jesus Christ, alayhi salatu wasalam, he saw a pig and he bade it to go. He goes, go in peace. So one of the companions asked, he goes, you speak so well to a pig. So Isa, alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, a container can only give what is poured into it. So now put yourself in the same situation. You see a pig, straight away, name calling starts. Khanzir, filthy, dirty Khanzir going past. In fact, if I kick it, I'll get a reward for it. Then your own shariat kicks in. Somebody goes, well, the vessel's now pouring out in it. Something's poured into you. It's not revelation. Something else being poured into you. So note again, all of this was from the great Ibn Masood. Notice his taqwa was phenomenal. It's of the Richter scale. But if you look into it, you're thinking, how did he get into that state? And of course, he was trained by the best. I would have messengers and allowed it, so all I mentioned today was a glimpse now into his phenomenal humility and his fear of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And obviously we shouldn't find this strange because of his phenomenal worship. His taqwa would also accelerate in proportion, which is now manifesting. But at the same time, you can take some valuable lessons, i.e. from these blessed reports. Are there any questions you like to ask? سبحان الله بحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك واتوب الله من الشيطان الرجيم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل الانسان الذي يخص الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات واصل الحق واصل الصبر